Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Our account this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Matthew in the ninth chapter, beginning in verse 1. This story is paralleled in Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 12, and Luke chapter 5, verses 18 through 26. What we didn't hear in this story that would clue us into this story in the other Gospels is that the man who was brought to Jesus in the other stories was lowered through a roof by the four friends. So this is the story, this is probably one of the earliest visualizations I ever had of a Bible story, either from the the little felt things that we had in Sunday school growing up, or from the illustrated Sunday school books. The uh, compelling story of the four friends who couldn't get to Jesus because of such a big crowd, and they had their friend who, because Jesus by this time had a reputation as a healer, they desperately wanted to have their friend put in front of Jesus for the chance that he might be healed. And so they climbed up on the roof of the house where Jesus was, uh, was talking to the people this day, and they actually poked a hole in the roof. I guess it's one of those thatch roofs that they were able to, you know, with chisels or uh, little spades, actually uh, poke a hole in it, and then pull it apart big enough so that they could actually lower their friend on his mat down into the room that Jesus was standing in. Now, that was the most compelling part of this story for me as a kid growing up, the image of a hole being poked in the roof and all that. But Matthew actually omits that entire part of this story. All he says is that there was a man who was brought to Jesus, a paralytic, on a mat. He doesn't tell of the four friends. He doesn't tell of the hole in the roof. He doesn't tell of any of that stuff that made for such a great visualization in our Sunday school books. He just says that there was a man. I think this is interesting, an interesting um, omission on Matthew's part. What was much more interesting to Matthew was what happened once he was in front of Jesus. And so uh, I think we can learn something from what Matthew includes and doesn't include versus what the other two gospel accounts include versus what they don't include. So we're going to pay special attention today to Matthew's account of this story versus the other accounts in Mark and Luke. Through the eyes of Matthew today, we will see this story. So the first detail that we see that's different in Matthew's story is the omission of the situation, the four friends and the being let down through the roof. The second thing that we see in Matthew's gospel that we don't see in Mark or Luke is that when the man is lowered before Jesus, uh, here Jesus is standing in the middle of a crowd and now this paralytic man is in front of him and the first thing Jesus says to him is, take heart, my son or child, take heart. He doesn't say that in Mark or Luke. Uh, or at least he's not recorded as saying that in Mark or Luke. But in Matthew, take heart is recorded. Now, why does he tell him to take heart? Because he's about to 
heal him miraculously? Well, he doesn't actually do that first. He says, take heart, your sins are forgiven. So the, the take heart, I assume, Matthew records, because it doesn't immediately precede his healing, but, bef- uh, but precedes his sins being taken away. That's an interesting detail for Matthew to record. Now, the next thing that is in Matthew's gospel that isn't in Mark or Luke's is that when he says your sins are forgiven and the scribes and Pharisees start to think, hey, this guy is blaspheming, Jesus says to them, why do you think evil in your hearts? Now, Mark and Luke only have Jesus saying, why do you question these things? Or why why are you questioning me saying this? But in Matthew... Jesus says, why do you think evil in your hearts? That's an interesting difference, too, and we'll come back to it in a second. Now, when Jesus goes on to say, which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk, he says, but that you may believe that the Son of Man has authority to do this. All three of the Gospels preserve this phrase, the Son of Man. I think that's interesting. Um, Jesus refers to himself Something like 81 different times throughout the Synoptic Gospels, or or 68 or something, a a lot throughout the Synoptics, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Um, And and we'll come back to that in a little while too. But that is something that all three Gospels preserve, the Son of Man, and I think that's important. From there, everybody, all the crowds, glorified God. All All three Gospels say that the crowd glorified God because of this. But Mark and Luke say that they were amazed or filled with awe. Matthew here just says that they were afraid. That's interesting. Mark and Luke say that the people were amazed and filled with awe, but Matthew says that they were actually afraid. And finally, Mark and Luke say that the people say, we never saw anything like this, or we have seen extraordinary things today, something like that. Matthew says that they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So Matthew doesn't record that the people say, we've seen something amazing, or we've never seen anything like this. He just says that they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, I want to go back and reflect briefly on these differences in Matthew's gospel because of who... um, who tells us Matthew is just a little bit, and also because it... It gives us more insight into Jesus and into this story. So the fact that there was a tenderness in Jesus' first response to the man coming before him and saying, take heart. He says, take heart for your sins are forgiven. How many sins, according to the law, could a man like this, a paralytic, possibly have committed? I mean, so many sins are about doing work on the Sabbath and, you know, cleanliness and uncleanliness laws. This man couldn't move from his mat. He was dependent on others. What could he really have done to rack up a bunch of sins? And yet, this is the first thing that Jesus addresses. So, to the eyes of God, the God who knows the hearts of men, apparently this man had committed enough sins that needed to be addressed. And this is what he addresses first. With a tender Take heart, my son. Now, the second thing that Matthew preserves 
that the other Gospels don't is that Jesus asks the scribes why they think evil things in their hearts. Why is it evil to see a man claiming the responsibility of God alone for himself? I mean, isn't that accurate based on what, what you know, the, the Jews at the time would have known about God? What laws they had been given, the nature of God and the forgiveness of sins? There were, there were rights for this. There were sacrifices. There was a whole thing that was necessary to forgive sins. And so when a man claims to do this, I mean, yeah, that's, that is blaspheming, isn't it? So why is it evil for them to think and say these things among themselves? Well, maybe it's because God doesn't need our protection against blasphemy. The only person we should worry about blaspheming is ourselves, me. I'm the only person I'm responsible to make sure doesn't blaspheme God. Not you, not anybody else. God can take care of himself. Now, the honor that we should be defending is of our fellow man, not God. It wasn't God's honor uh, that was being defended by the scribes and Pharisees here. What they were doing was actually law policing, a job that wasn't really theirs. And so this was the evil in their hearts, the presumption to um, call out the sin of another, and the sin specifically between one man and God, a, bl a blaspheme. That was the evil in their hearts. And that's why I think Matthew um, records that for us. It's not just that they were doubting or questioning Jesus in these things. I mean, that's, that's kind of legitimate, I guess. Uh, are you sure? Doesn't this man need to go, go to the temple and do all the stuff? But the evil that uh, the scribes were responsible for was a presumption, a sin of presumption. Now, Jesus, of course, then heals the man and tells him to go home as a demonstration of his power. I love, I love the juxtaposition of um, <laughs> a question that none of us mortals know how to answer. Which is easier, to forgive someone's sins, truly, effectively, actually, or to actually heal a paralytic man? Which of those is more difficult? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know which one of those um, in the economy of the power of God is actually more difficult. And no, none, of the, uh, none of the scribes or Pharisees did either. I think that's why Jesus posed that question. But he does heal the man, and he tells him to go home, not to the temple to show himself. This, uh, he wasn't like the, the ten lepers who needed to... They were outcasts, and they needed to uh, prove to those in charge that they didn't any longer need to be outcasts. So he wasn't a leper. He was just a cripple. And so when he was healed... All he had to do was go home and lead a nice, quiet life, do what he was responsible to do. And he, he wasn't required to offer any sacrifices for his sin of forgiveness either. Just go home. And that's where he went, not in a rush or in a nimble bound, not with any drama or excitement, as is kind of implied in Mark and Luke. Just simply, quietly, matter-of-factly, this is... The pertinent detail, not the drama, the pertinent detail. The physician records he was told to go home, and that's exactly where he went. I like that about Matthew. And in Matthew's gospel, the people are not just astounded or amazed or filled with awe, but they are even afraid. 
Why are they afraid because of this? Well, they're afraid because of the authority that they just witnessed. Now, they may have been expecting to see the authority exercised to heal people. Presumably, that's why they were there. Like I said, Jesus, by this time, had a reputation as a healer. That's why there was a big old crowd um, all around him. That's why the man was brought to him in the first place, because people knew this man can heal people. So that's, that's not the authority they were afraid of. They were excited to see that. The authority, presumably, that they were afraid of was the authority, as Luke uh, implies, of a man to forgive sins, something that only God can do. What does that mean? Uh, the way Luke puts it, they, they were afraid because God had given such authority to men or mankind. Uh, that implies that the thinking of the people at the time wasn't, well, this man is actually God. What it implies the people are thinking is God has given this authority to man. Now, we come back to the title that Jesus uses of himself, Son of Man. The people were afraid because of this authority that it had been given to mankind. They see God's purview, God's responsibility, God's authority doled out to what to their eyes is a human being, a man. But Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Now, there's a lot of scholarly debate about what this title means, what it implies. Um, but it's pretty clear that it does harken back to a passage in Daniel 7 where one like a Son of Man is given dominions and authority forever and ever by the Ancient One, the Ancient of Days, this one like a son of man in Daniel's vision is seen ascending on the clouds to the Ancient of Days where he is given all this authority. This, of course, would be uh, linked to the ascension, the resurrection and ascension of Christ um, by his followers later. And so by Jesus using this title of himself and linking himself to that story, once he completes his mission on this earth by dying rising again and ascending into heaven, all of those titles that he used of himself, that imagery in Daniel 7 is now organically tied to his mission, what he actually accomplished. And so what the people see as authority having been given to mankind, his disciples would later realize, like St. Matthew, that it wasn't just man, but the Son of Man who was exercising this authority. The Son of Man who they would come to realize was God himself. It wasn't an authority given to him that didn't already belong to him as a human being. It was an authority that did belong to him as God become man. Now I think Matthew's details in this were um, interesting and I think the nature of the gospel writers imposing their own flavor and, and remembering certain details or leaving other things out says a lot about what they think about Jesus' ministry, Jesus' actions. And because we have four different perspectives in the four Gospels, we too as different people with different proclivities and different things that we find interesting or important can find in these four Gospel accounts 
different things that apply to us, to our lives, and to our hearts. And we thank God that he did allow four perspectives, four Gospels, to come down to us. And we thank God today that St. Matthew, um, uniquely among the synoptics, among the three synoptics, gave this story an interesting uh, flavor and spin to us. And I think this was very much on purpose that St. Matthew was um, chosen as a gospel writer, chosen by Christ. Because in the next verse, following our passage today, which was verses 1 through 8 in Matthew chapter 9, this is verse 9, immediately following that passage. As Jesus passed on from there, as in from that miracle, from that household, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Thank you, Lord, for calling Matthew out from the tax collector's booth and saying, Follow me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.